Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uktana, and today we'll be looking into how to move past the questions about what your path is, or how to best walk it, and into manifesting it, one step at a time. Most religions, spiritual paths, and energy modalities focus primarily on universal energy. They seek to have us recognize we're something beyond this physical reality, and so direct our attention outward to the bigger picture, beyond our egos to our higher selves, to look up at what is possible and to remember who we truly are, which is a piece of divinity. With this, we can begin to remember how to utilize our will to work with the universal energies flowing through and around us in order to manifest the wisdom in all of its varied and tapestried forms. However, this is only one half of the energy necessary for a soul to participate in embodied life. Physicality, life itself, personified as earth energy, the mother, goddess, or even the Sephira Malhut, provides the other half. This energy is an Akashic stream rising upwards, which fills our bodies with health and vigor, which fires us up and encourages us to engage in the act of living. It's the mystical enlivening force which can unfurl as kundalini consciousness, the earth-radiant force which is the perfect union of universal and earth energies. It's the grounding force which brings us out of our heads, down from the clouds, and into the suchness of our purpose. If we're not participating on a daily basis with earth energy in equal measure with universal energy, we become imbalanced. Without an equal amount of earth energy, our ability to manifest is impaired or disabled, and our bodies will signal what the issue is via disease. Many spiritual practices seek to help us become more enlightened or awake by renouncing earth energies, raising our vibration, moving us away from heavier energies, and denying pleasure of the flesh as distractions from a higher order of living. Yet, earth energy, the upwelling of prana from Malhut, not only nourishes us, keeping us anchored here and plugged into everything around us, it also serves as the return loop for energies or the input to manifestation's output. Just as we must breathe both in and out, so we must take in energy in equal measure to what we expend. Part of the function of human beings is to help return prana, chi, akasha, to the universe, to bring it back to Ein Sof and to enrich the all that is. The prana, or life force, is what carries all of our experiences, our choices, our hard-earned wisdom, and all records of our existence here back to the Akashics, to our higher self, to our soul books, and to the Akashic library. This upwards energy also answers a question which is both obvious and almost never asked. How do our souls learn and become from our experiences, and how do all of these events and connections get recorded in the Akashics? If procedurals, police shows, and true crime reporting have taught us anything, third-hand reporting or eyewitness statements are unreliable in the extreme. 
So having some third party being reporting on us or surveilling us would not only be stalkerish and creepy, but it would prove amazingly fallible as a means of recording our actions. Instead, we report on ourselves constantly in a continuous stream of interactive information and journaling via earth energy moving up through the tree of life within us. So here we are, embodied on planet earth, our real lives in the physical. We are each of us and every man or Adam Cadmon walking the path laid before us, each step an opportunity to bring the world into right relationship with the universe, each action a means to harmonize the imminent with the transcendent. Each of us is a drop of water in an endless sea, manifested into the world as product of our own spiritual process and the fulfillment of spirit's divine efforts. This, of course, brings us to the question everyone does ask eventually. What is my purpose? If I've manifested myself here, what was I thinking and what am I here to do? Most people pose their question as if they're the ring bearer in a Tolkien story, like Frodo with his one doom, and once it's accomplished, we're free. As Elrond intones in The Lord of the Rings, Strangers from distant lands, friends of old, you have been summoned here to answer the threat of Mordor. Middle-earth stands upon the brink of destruction. None can escape it. You will unite, or you will fall. Each race is bound to this fate, this one doom. But as we've seen, we're far more complex and multifaceted than any mythology or tale. In fact, we are in part the culmination of our ancestors' actions, desires, and manifestations. In terms of Kabbalah's tree of life, Malhut, or the physical plane, is considered to be the fruit or flower of the tree, the product of all its efforts. It's the culminating event to which the entire tree's efforts and energies have bent. We are the flower of our family tree, not a branch or a continuation of the tree's growth or extension of any of its efforts, but the flower, the fruits, the separate piece which is meant to fall, to blow, to disperse out into the world and start a new iteration, to begin a new adventure. So as children are with parents, we are connected and yet separate, unique and yet related to all which has come before. How we choose to tighten or loosen those bonds is up to us. In part, our purpose is to be here for them, to write endings and completions to their stories. Another part of our purpose is simply to be here. In our natural state, in the Akasha where we're souls without containment, without separation, we communicate empathically and telepathically. We feel directly what the other feels, receive their thoughts as our own. Because of this, we live lives of pure and unconditional love and infinite care for the other. We are literally our brother's keeper, because what we feel, they feel, and what they think, we know. I liken this to living in ancient Japan with rice paper walls. To show respect, to truly love someone, is to live so your actions do not infringe on their privacy. Live quiet, be gentle, 
and ignore what can't be avoided. As souls, we have no encasement, and yet our love creates boundaries for our actions and experiences. To indulge in rage or terror or despair is to inflict those things on all around us. So we don't. Embodied life, with its individual containers, its artificial yet distinct separations, gives us the freedom to experience fully ourselves. Everything here is sharp and full of color and in every variety of the rainbow. It can be sensory overload, but it's our brief window into the full throttle experience of self and not to be wasted. We don't bring all we are into embodied life. We bring what we choose, what we need. The less we bring, the more our bodies, our expression in Malhut, helps us forget all but this life now. The more we bring, the less our bodies can keep out of sight for us. The more balanced and therefore sensitive we will be. Not everyone is overwhelmed by this experience, however. Some are more sensitive to the world around them, yet some retain or regain their knowledge of the universe beyond the physical and who we truly are. This is a function of embodiment, a balancing of universal and embodied energies. We tend to think of the world around us as separate from us, as other and out there, while we are in here. Therefore, the world becomes a chaotic and monolithic energetic system which we can tap into or seek to avoid. What we fail to notice in all this us-versus-them conceptualization, this notion we are an island, is that the second we are here, we are intimately integrated into the world on all levels. We are part of the Earth's energy, the pool of golden liquid light which is ever fresh and flowing, the ley lines which are the world's neural network, the waters which act as nourishment and cleansing agent. We are all generating the web of life which is and responds to all life. We become aware of synchronicities and patterns in life, not when we tune into the sacred nature of things, but when we stop tuning it out. Our primary purpose, therefore, is to be. To be here in our unique suchness. This is not to say if we all get centered and grounded, paradise will spring up around our feet, nectar will bubble up from the ground, and we can frolic to the playing of lutes and pan flutes. In our sacral chakra, or the energy center between our hip bones, the manifestation process contains not only our most intimate desires, but also our mistakes and fears and lacks. This is also where people don't necessarily want to see who they truly are, so they work to avoid the mirror held up by partners, friends, family, and situations at all costs. Our heart chakras can keep us focused on service, which becomes unbalanced into sacrifice and codependence. The survival skills we acquired in childhood can armor our third chakra, creating an identity where, like Sleeping Beauty, we live behind impenetrable barriers, hoping someone will see through them all to find our true selves. Yeah, all those energies are manifesting in embodied life as well. As the saying goes, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. Malhut, or physicality, 
is a heady, rich brew of ingredients which can ferment into the finest ambrosia or turn into vinegar. While we aren't completely in control of the process, neither are we a helpless victim to it. We are a component of it, and the more we engage with it, the more we gain. Like any good relationship, the more energy we put into it, the more honesty and love, vulnerability and connection we allow, the more we set and hold good boundaries and act righteously, the more fulfilling it is, and the more Shekinah is present with us and within us. By engage, I don't mean to imply we choose embodied life over spirituality. That would foster the false dichotomy these two are actually separate or opposite. Quite the contrary. I'm pointing to the fact our spiritual practice should cause us to crave engaging more in the physical world, and our experiences there should fuel our spirituality. With the very limited time we have here, we should seek not to leave or be elsewhere, but to be here. But what does this mean specifically for each of us? Why would we come into this mess? The divine is here with us, but what does that mean? There has to be more than just being plugged into the network, right? Well, right. Each of us is a piece of divinity which comes into the world trailing clouds of glory with unique abilities and gifts and a plan. As William Wordsworth says in Ode, Intimations of Immortality, Our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting. The soul that rises with us, our life's star, hath had elsewhere its setting and cometh from afar, not in entire forgetfulness, and not in utter nakedness, but trailing clouds of glory do we come from God who is our home. Our purpose is to use our gifts in ways only we can, to add our unique gifts to the web of life, help other aspects of divinity become aware of themselves, and be free to follow their paths, and to dive into opportunities created from the complexity of life's plans, which are being updated by all of us on the fly as life unfolds. From working to heal ecological issues to ethical business practices, from speaking or writing with a unique perspective and voice to making art which shows us the world and ourselves in new ways, from the healing arts to the fully lived good life, each of us has a part to play and the responsibility to decide how and how much we will play it. The Sephira Malhut sits at the foot of Adam Kadmon. It is literally the ending and yet the beginning of the path. Here, like Dorothy standing in the center of a yellow brick spiral, the journey to get here is done. So now the next journey, the path forward, begins. Each of us is a flower and seed on the tree of life. Each of us is co-creating the web of life we all live in with each breath, each choice, each road rage mile, memo written, TSA check, poop scooped, and tiny face washed. So the question in truth is not, what is my path? But am I walking my path? Move forward even though you can't see your way clear, even though you aren't ready, you aren't perfect, you make mistakes and have to adjust. The amazing truth about life is the more we engage with it, the more clearly we're able to discern 
who we are, where we should go, where we've taken detours, and how we can get back on track. The key is to walk. And that's all the time we have this week. Next week, we'll be discussing soul-level connections and how they can be transformative, but are more often an unhelpful detour on our path. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a minute to show it some love on iTunes. Your comments are also appreciated. Thanks. Bye.